Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Once again, things that could have been brought to my attention yesterday! Alice isn't here, man. Hello and welcome to Little Marty, the only podcast that I'm aware of that does bad Cheech and Chong impressions and also is dedicated to covering the works of Adam Sandler and Martin Scorsese. My name is Eric Halloween. And my name is Jeremy the Butcher. J the B. J the B. <laughs> What's happening? Jeremy, coming in hot off of our very special, and like I said on Twitter, um, on the Twitter show Twitter account, we did not expect this to happen, but we, we, we ended up being able to put out a very special episode on the, the new hit John Krasinski film, yes. A Quiet Place 2. Mm-hmm. Um it should be there in the feed. We were thinking about, I mean, it's so good we were about to release it on the Patreon because that's where we release all the good episodes, but um, we just want everyone to to hear it. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, uh, definitely check it out. There's no spoilers, so you can just dive right in. Um, but Jeremy, what's up, dude? Oh, not much. I got to say, I'm still... Shaking in my boots from watching that A Quiet Place too. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, so uh, you know we're we're talking. Last week we talked Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Happy Gilmore. Gil- Gilmore girls. This Happy week Gilmore we're talking. Girls. Yes, this week we're ta- talking Scorsese girls. <laughs> and. <laughs> I just thought of a brilliant idea for a TV show. <laughs> that's a good. But, uh, <laughs> that's a good. Or an alternate podcast where we cover every episode of the Gilmore <laughs> <Yeah>. Girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Scorsese. So, Jeremy, uh, before we dive into Alice doesn't live here anymore, which you know, I, let's get this out of the way. We all know it's about a woman who moves. Right. Yes, it is about a woman. We, who you know, no, neither of us had seen the movie before, but I, I think we predicted it correctly that it is a, about a woman who moves. Uh, um, but yeah. Jeremy, what I mentioned, we have a Patreon. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> am I having a stroke? You're, What's you're not on? having a stroke, my good friend. You are, in fact, lucid as ever. You are correct. We do have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. It is there that you will find a treasure trove of amazing Mm. bonus content from our years of podcasting here from this very show. We have evolved, Eric, not much like human beings themselves. We have evolved from once upon a time, a Chucky show, once upon a time, an Ari Aster show, once upon a time, we did all the final destination movies. Uh, and through all the years of doing these different events, I call them events, we've uh, collected just a ton of bonus content weekly on that yeah. paid service for $5. Other, other podcasts put out episodes. We put out events. We put out events. They are, they are events. They're timed events. They, we will not be Little Marty forever. We'll be something else someday. Yes. But yeah, so and yeah, <laughs> we have uh, if, you know if you're if you're uh, uh, really getting into this, if you're getting into the Scorsese, you're getting into the Sandler. You might notice at this point there's some things on the main feed that we haven't covered. You might be a huge Sandler fan, and you're like, why the hell didn't these guys cover uh, Coneheads? Right. Sandler was in that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's because we did it on the Patreon, bro. Right? Why didn't you cover in your main feed? A movie where Sandler's in it for literally 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's yeah, because yeah. we did it on the Patreon. So you can go there. You can pay $5, th- measly $5, really. It- it's basically a tip. You d- just a little tip, monthly tip. 
and you get all this good, good content. And I mean good, good. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Eric, what's one of your favorite episodes we've ever done? One of my favorite episodes that we've ever done, and I'm you know doing this off the top of my head. <laughs> I'm not even quickly looking up our catalog <laughs> that we have on right. our page. Yes, here. because you, you had one at the ready. Yeah, you had one at the ready. I am definitely not stalling. You know, I could say, here's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite episodes that we've done. Man, we did a lot of Tales from the Crips. Yeah, we did. Um, I will say, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? Eight Crazy Nights we did. <laughs> yeah. No, I just picked a random one. That was an okay one. But uh, yeah. I, I got to say, I mean, we just did Mupp- Muppet Month. Muppet Month. You know what? Here, last episode, uh, last uh, iteration of the podcast, we did uh, the films of PTA and Wes Anderson, and another director who will not be named. <laughs> and we did an episode uh, on PTA where we just talked about PTA and our experience watching all of their all of his movies, and that was a great convo. Mm. It was a good time. Mm. So I'm going to say that's one of my favorites. That's a good one. That's a great one. But I'm also being put on the spot. That's probably not my favorite. There's there's plenty of other good ones. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy, your favorite is probably the. Uh, let me guess. Uh, the films of summer. Oh, we already did that. The Leprechaun Five. Leprechaun in the Ooh, hood. Is that your favorite? Great guess, Eric. But it's actually our episode covering the Coneheads. Oh, great. Great. And that's a recent one, right? And that is a recent episode. And as of this moment, we've definitely recorded that one. Yes. Uh, absolutely. One of our better episodes. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, we're, you know, it, we're we're getting into Scorsese. I think, you know, last episode, I th- we, what did we do? Uh, the last Scorsese episode, we did Mean Streets, um, which... I gotta say, the the streets were pretty normal. That I was expecting. Oh, never mind. I was gonna do a dumb. I can't even commit to this dumb, <laughs> dumb joke I was gonna do. But uh, you know, I I think I said something like, "We're finally watching a Scorsese movie." Yes. You know. Yes. I mean, certainly that that first one that we never get the name right. The who's that knocking yeah. at my door? Someone's or whatever knocking. It's called. Someone's answering. And that's yeah, my knock, door. Knock knock, who's there? It's me, Marty. Yeah, knock knock, who's there? <laughs> yeah. Me, Marty. Hey, hey, God, it's me, Marty. Are you knocking? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that's a very uh, Mean Streets is basically like Marty doing that, mm-hmm. but like with a little bit more experience under his belt, a little bit more knowledge of how film works, and a lot more money. Mm. And you know, Mean Streets is not a very high-budget film, but a lot more than that movie than he had to spend on that movie. Mm. Uh, and I feel like we're finally getting into Marty and we're getting into the Scorsese movies that I know and love. And I'm not saying anything about my opinion of this movie quite yet. Okay. But then we watch Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore and I'm like, man, I don't know what to think because now this doesn't like... This like defies my expectation of what a Scorsese movie is, to an extent. Okay, yeah. Had you seen this one before? No, I haven't. I thought that it was a movie about a woman who gets dementia. Wow. Oh. But that might be it. <laughs> I don't even know what movie I am thinking of. I think I'm thinking of a movie called Still Alice. That's like a recent movie with Julianne Moore. Oh, right. With Ju- <laughs> yeah, that's definitely not no, yeah. Scorsese. But uh, yeah, I I hadn't seen this, but I did know that Ellen Burstyn won the Academy Award for Best Actress for this film, and I did know that most people really liked this movie. So, you know, going in, I did think it was about something way more dramatic than it ended up being about, but you know, after seeing it, I guess I'm kind of also going to hold off on what I think of the movie too, or what I thought of it. But you know, 
needless to say it was it was surprising to me as well i i didn't ex- there's a lot of this movie i didn't expect um one of the biggest things that i didn't expect and tell me what you think about this is the way it's shot it it's very um documentary style like a lot of hand yeah. handheld camera work in this and marty is a guy who i know from I guess, you know, Taxi Driver or Goodfellas, a lot of tracking shots, dolly shots, a lot of, you know, maybe even steady cam work, but, you know, not, he's not like a uh, over the shoulder camera run and gun type necessarily. So, from what I have gathered about the production, the filming of this movie, um, is uh, this was, Scorsese was, uh, with some of these locations, uh, uh, you know, learning firsthand the con, uh, you know, the the limitations of a, of a small space. Mm. Some of these, you know, so I wonder if that was uh, like some of these locations, like the diner and the places they're filming, um, wouldn't necessarily lend uh, that have the uh, you know the the capacity to be able to, you know film things the way that he that he does now so i i think it was almost handheld out of necessity that's interesting i i think that it's gotta i'll i'll say this right you know without giving away too many of my cards i think the look of the film's great actually i kind of like that it's so cramped like the movie feels like sweaty and I mean, it's the seventies, right? So every movie kind of feels sweaty, but this yeah. one feels yeah, no one wore deodorant, right? No one wore makeup or deodorant. And everyone's, <laughs> everyone's got mustaches, men and women alike. It's just, yeah. it's just a, it's a weird time and a, and a optimal time for film. I mean, I love the way films, the seventies look, I'm actually going to be bummed when we yeah. leave the seventies, but I think that this film is like very kind of claustrophobic and a little in your face and, Ooh, the close-ups of the performances, and when Harvey Keitel's ripping up the the apartment, the, the apartment, you know, he's getting all pissed off, and he's, sh- you know, shits flying everywhere, and it just, ooh, it just, it just, you know, there were parts of it that I feel like were way more intense due to the way that the production of this film went. Um. Yes, I definitely agree with that. With that assessment. Um. So this is a, uh, from what I gather, is a is uh, Scorsese's first like studio assignment mm. kind of film, right? Mm-hmm. Like he has kind of established himself as this director, and, and you know, gotten. I don't even like full like it's been so such a long time since I've read Easy Riders, Raging Bull, uh, Bulls. So I don't even remember. Uh, I don't even know how how have any grasp on like how Hollywood or the film industry worked in the seventies anymore. But, uh, you know, he, he was in a position now where he was able to kind of, I guess projects were kind of sent his way or he was able to say, you know, I would like to do this, or this is an opportunity that I have. And I, I want to do this. And what I, um, have noticed, uh, uh, or read about the, his, uh, choosing this film is he wanted to challenge himself mm. um which i think is cool i think that's rad that like any um you know any artist uh, doing anything like you know i mean uh what's it called like uh the band the flaming lips they mm. they come to the top of my mind because i've just been listening to Yoshimi? Like, they, they do some really weird stuff. They, like, covered, like, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but, like, 10 years ago, they covered, like, Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, yeah. They, like, were bold enough to do their own version of that, and, like, every album of theirs is just completely different. I appreciate that, that uh, it went, when an artist does that. And, and Scorsese was doing that with, uh, with this movie, and um, a little bit of a background on the film. Uh, starting with Ellen Burstyn. Mm. Uh, so she was in the midst of filming The Exorcist when Warner Bros. Uh, executives expressed interest in working with her on another project. Uh, she recalled, it was early in the woman's movement and we were all just waking up and having a look at the pattern of our lives and wanting to be different. 
I wanted to make a different kind of film. A film of a woman's point of view, but a woman that I recognized. Uh, so my agent found Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore when I read uh, when I read it. I liked it a lot. I sent it to Warner Brothers, and they agreed to do it. Uh, let's see. They then asked who I wanted to, re- to direct it. I said I didn't know, but I wanted someone new and young. She called Coppola first mm. and asked who was young and exciting. And uh, he said, go look at the movie Mean Streets and see what you think. It hadn't been released, so she booked a screening, and it was exactly what uh, she was looking for, for this movie. Mm. Uh, very interesting how this movie came about. It was like, oh, an actress is like able to say, I want to do this to like a studio and then or a producer, and then that producer like finds a story to suit that thing that, that that actress does and then they find a director. It's like a weird yeah um path path to get to get there. It's but it's cool. It's a thing that I'm sure happens every day in Hollywood, but it's just feels pretty unfamiliar to us because Eric, I think maybe we're the same in this way that we're big director fans. Like we love directors and we love the stories of directors. We don't typically follow the stories of like actors and producers and you know, they all have a hand in making films. I like the sort of director route and, you know, imagining Marty kind of picking his, his projects or, or whatever, but yeah, deals get made all kinds of different ways. And from knowing people who now work in Hollywood and are doing, making deals like this, stands to reason you know a lot of films don't get made unless there's an actor attached so it's like you know david lynch probably can't even just get a movie funded he has to go to a netflix or something and be like laura dern's in you know so it's it's it is unfamiliar because i don't know these stories as much but it is also it does also make a lot of sense and Ellis, Ellen Burstyn would have been really hot at the time, especially like coming off of The Exorcist. What a run, you know? She works oh, with yeah. Friedkin, then she works with Marty. Uh, this is a weird one for Marty. This reminds me of uh, After Hours, not like in content at all or style, but just in like a departure, you know, from something that our comfort zone when we think about him and his film filmography. Yes. We're going to see a lot of this because Marty deviates a lot and a lot more than yeah. you might think he made Kundun for crying out loud so you know it's he, i think yeah. some of those are gonna end up being my favorite i think so too yeah. yeah and um and this one's really really interesting because it's so personal and it's so like it's so unlike martin scorsese i mean just even by virtue of having a female protagonist you know like i don't know if Marty makes another movie with a female protagonist again after this. You know? I don't I don't actually know. I I will we'll see as we go along. Maybe New York, New York. By the way, but, yeah. This this picture gets posted uh by one of those movie like Twitter accounts every like 4 days, <laughs> but I can't <laughs> it's always great when you see it. It, it. Have you seen that picture of uh, Scorsese talking to Wes Anderson, and Wes Anderson's like sitting up on a countertop, just like listening, no. really <laughs> intently. It's so cool. And Wes Anderson's wearing like a suit with like New Balance shoes, and Scorsese's like in the middle of explaining something. It's just like the sweetest picture ever. No, um, I've never. But seen you mentioned uh, Laura Dern. Mm. I think I tweet. I'll tweet. I'll retweet this on the show account. By the way, if anyone's interested. Um, so, uh, Laura Dern, Jeremy, mm-hmm. would you believe me if I told you that Laura Dern is in this movie? I would believe you only because <laughs> I, kn- I knew she was in it, but, uh, I, I, it did surprise me when I came to find that out. Also, the fact that Diane Ladd is her mom. I knew Diane Ladd was her yes. mom, but I didn't know who Diane Ladd was. <laughs> uh, I knew Bruce Dern, because um, you know, but I only knew Bruce Dern because of, uh, you know, Nebraska. 
So I, I you know, like I, I, I'm not really well versed in like old Hollywood as much as I'd like to yeah. think. So Diane not- Ladd, you know, she plays the other waitress in this and her young daughter, Laura Dern is in the movie. Also, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know that that little other little girl was Jodie Foster the whole movie until the oh, end. I didn't know that either. Yeah. Audrey, like the tomboyish friend of, uh, you know, the little boy. Dude, I didn't know that that was Jennifer Aniston in the leprechaun until <laughs> like 45 <laughs> minutes in. I don't recognize young uh, people. People who, like, when an actor or actress is younger, right. much younger than what I'm used to. Like De Niro, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this. I, I meant to say this uh, on the Mean Streets episode, but, like, young De Niro to me just looks like current day Robert it just like I can't separate like the old man like he, he even though he's like 40 years younger in that movie yeah uh he he is just an old man to me by the way not to like draw any you know stir up any conspiracy theories Jeremy mm. but Diane Ladd one of her biggest roles is in a TV series called Alice yeah I'm just saying. I'm just put, I'm just putting the facts out there. I'm Eric, not, what know. if I told you that that show Alice is based on this very movie? Wait, is it? Yeah. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, all right. The film inspired the sitcom <laughs> Alice, which was broadcast by CBS from uh, August okay. 1976 to 1985. That's a long. That's crazy. Run, that this. Spawned a sitcom. Yeah. Well, Diane also Diane Ladd did join the show, but plays a different character. Hmm. In fact, the only person to reprise their role from the film to the show was Vic Tabak, the guy who's Mel. You know Mel's diner? Okay. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um Okay. Let's see here. So having spent I was reading the wrong thing. Uh, Burstyn described her collab with director Martin Scorsese making his first Hollywood studio production. She said, it is it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. The director agreed with his star that the film should have a message. Uh, it's a picture about emotions and feelings and relationships and people in chaos, he said. We felt like uh, charting all th- that and showing the difference differences and showing people making terrible mistakes ruining their lives and then realizing it and trying to push back when everything is crumbling without getting into soap opera we opened ourselves up to a lot of experimentation i love movies like this by the way i like uh just like a very real story just like done well yeah Um, i mean like i imagine that ellen burstyn you know this is like the best case scenario for any actor is like and any actor who really wants to act right is that like you get to do a pet project a project that's just completely tailor-made for you then you get to pick your director and you pick martin scorsese (laughs) and then it's like you're in every scene of the movie like ellen burston is in I think, I mean, just about every scene of the movie. It's like the whole movie is from her point of view. We only leave her side a couple of times to like follow the kid around a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I imagine this is the experience of a lifetime because it's like, it's almost completely her project in a way. It's like, this must have been great. And she gets to work with hunks like Chris Christopherson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of Christofferson, you know, some of these, I want to make a point to note some of the highlights in the soundtracks in these uh, Scorsese movies, because the guy can pick some songs, mm. but we get uh, Elton John, we get the song Daniel, we get, uh, of course, Jeremy, Dolly Parton's I Will Always yes. Love You, mm-hmm. little Leon Russell, a little Mott the Hoople, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a T-Rex song in there oh, called cool. Jeepster. Jeepster's in it, huh? Like Jeepster, it's a good yeah. song. Uh, yeah, that Dolly Parton song, man, it's been in everything. It's been in a lot of movies. It's a, it's a it's a classic. Yeah, it's one of those songs where when I heard the re- original, I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. 
this is better than the song, the version I've been listening to. Yeah. Anyway, um, what else is, uh, uh, did 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 you happen to see, Jeremy? Any other <laughs> interesting <laughs> like tidbits? anything like uh, trivia related trivia or whatever? Or yes. Um. Mm, no. Nah. Oh, Burston said she was not prepared for how frightening Kaitel became in the scene where Ben threatens his wife and Alice. Yeah. I had a meltdown after shooting and cried for an hour, she said. Scorsese, even as well as he knew Kaitel, said the actor terrified him from the moment he began his very intense and rather demonic preparations for the scene. Yeah. Um, I got to say, that also scared me. And I think I had a meltdown yeah. after watching that scene. And I also cried for an hour because it was... Really intense. I couldn't, I kind of couldn't believe it. And you know what, Eric, to that point, like, I feel like I am sort of in this meditation lately about the 70s in general or, and just the authenticity that we get from films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Like, even when people go act really big in films today, like, for whatever reason, I don't know why, it just doesn't feel this visceral to me. Like, this was like I was in the room, I could smell him. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. He's such a presence and it's so scary and the way that you know like when he when he hits that table and stuff flies everywhere he's doing it with no regard for who's around like I'm sure I'm I don't know if anyone got hurt I don't think anyone probably got hurt but like the I like you know there it felt like there was real danger in the room and that's you know part because of Harvey Keitel's performance and just partly because movies were made differently back then. I also love this little bit of trivia. Uh, my favorite line in the movie is when Ellen Burstyn uh, snaps back at the old bar owner when she's when he's like, turn around, let me see you. And she's like, why? I don't sing with my ass. <laughs> Supposedly, <laughs> that is uh, an improvised line by Burstyn. Based on her own show business experience. Oh man, my favorite line. This is like one of the best pieces of dialogue in a movie, and it's like a callback to. Uh, I'm trying to remember it, but he's explaining to her like what his. Um. Oh yeah, he like in early in the movie, he's explaining how he like held the door open for his wife. Mm-hmm. Or like the 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 like his like previous lover that like left or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yes. And then when Ellen Burstyn is finally leaving him, she's like, "Aren't you gonna hold the door for me?" Oh, so good! Such a great line. So good. Uh, by the way, here's another qu- a quick thing before we get into the plot of this movie. I have seen this movie once. Now, uh, I've seen the movie Requiem for a Dream a hundred times, maybe in my life and yeah as as much as i tried eric i do not think i ever got <laughs> ellen burston's performance from requiem for a dream out of my mind <laughs> the entire time i wait is she the uh old lady yes she is the mom in oh. that who goes crazy in the apartment with the hair dye and stuff and like <laughs> Ends up in an insane asylum. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the whole like song they sing in the, the when she's going crazy, sort of like watching the, the, the game show on TV. Uh, yeah. I, I totally, sh- she's so good as an actress, but man, um, once you see her do that role, it's kind of hard, especially if that's the first thing you saw her in. <laughs> It's so hard yeah, to go back. Yeah, I didn't back. put that together in my head. Yeah. Well, be lucky but, that you uh, didn't because it was very distracting the whole movie. I kept having to remind myself like, <laughs> nope, this is different movie. Different Alice, different Ellen. I will say I had the same experience last week watching uh, Chris McDonald in, uh, <laughs> in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> <laughs> Shooter McGavin as, as the, the game show host. He's like the qu- game show he host. He is yeah. the game show host. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so diving into the plot here of Alice don't live here no more. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Socaro, New Mexico, housewife Alice Hyatt's husband, Donald, is killed in an auto accident, 
She decides to have a garage sale, pack what's left of her meager belongings, and take her precious son Tommy to her childhood hometown of Monterey, California, where she hopes to pursue the singing career she abandoned when she married. Okay, so... That's the longest sentence I've ever seen. (laughs) uh, Wikipedia author was somehow traumatized by uh, (laughs) punctuation marks. (laughs) Yeah. This is a also this pretty a lot sure of... meager is spelled wrong. Oh yeah, this is yeah meager is spelled wrong. Um, do you do you know what's going on in this opening credits scene though? Can we talk about that? So the movie opens mm. basically in like a television ash aspect ratio, and we're seeing sort of like a Leave It to Beaver ish like opening to the movie where she's like a kid. Oh, and she like do you remember this where she like. She's talking to her mom. And there's a song being sung. It's it's a very 1950s vibe. Yeah, I wasn't like thinking about it too much. I guess at that point, but I I, I know what you're talking about, and I did like the opening. I don't. Uh, I guess now in retrospect, I wonder what that. Yeah, I just yeah, I just I wondered if you had any thoughts. It. I I kind of don't have any thoughts. I didn't really know what it was. I think it, it at first I kind of thought they were doing like a Wizard of Oz thing. Um, but there is a, an anecdote in here in the, uh, hold on, Wizard of, oh yeah, the opening sequence was designed to be an homage to the Wizard of Oz. Oh, great. Yeah, well, I mean, because she, she's like in a farm house kind of thing, and yeah. Anyways, so I, I was sort of like wondering, yeah. man, you think they would do like, instead of a Wizard of Oz, you know, metaphor, maybe they do like a, like. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems like yeah. it was already it's like right uh, there on the table yeah so i don't know i guess we're um we're traveling we're getting the setup yeah we're traveling we're we're, we're, we're we're traveling we're we're uh quite literally alice does not live there anymore she no yeah, yeah her husband is killed in we don't see the car accident but we see the wreckage and it looks pretty horrific although i don't quite get how it happened because it looks like he was driving a truck and he yeah. hit a small car but he's destroyed <laughs> like somehow he in the truck is destroyed um yeah i don't know but then later yeah so then there's the the funeral and this by the way is not tommy's dad right i don't think so right yeah i don't think so yeah he's he's sort of uh an abusive guy right off the bat we see that she's already with an abusive guy donald and by abusive it's kind of hard to tell what a 1970s movie is trying to tell you is abuse like He's definitely emotionally abusive. I well, I agree by today's standards he is, but at the beginning I was kind of like, is he just kind of, is he just being? Is like, is like, Tom, are they trying to say Tommy is like a a problem child, or are they saying that Donald is a problem husband? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. There's sometimes I can't tell. Like, like even later on when Chris Christopherson spanks Tommy, I was like. That's like definitely uh, over the line. And it was, but then it ends up not being a deal breaker. So I was like, does that make sense? Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Where I'm like, uh, I think the rules are different in 1974, obviously. So I was like, what does this film think of abuse? What think uh, thinks abuse is? Um, anyway, so Donald is killed and he's kind of a bad guy, but she's really bummed out about it. She's, she's torn up over it and uh she takes tommy and they leave and there's kind of a there's a really fun scene with her and her like best friend when she's leaving you know the crying scene yes and and then you see the two kids it cuts to them and they're both rolling their eyes (laughs) (laughs) it's really fun and to me i don't know this is like for being a movie in the 70s this reminded me of a kind of like a twee adventure movie with a mother and son not unlike uh, not in the same tonal vein of something like maybe like almost like a Juno or a Ladybird or something, where it was like, yeah, it felt very, um, light and progressive and 
like you know their relationship is very fun right off the bat they have a good rapport her and tommy and tommy is also like a really good child actor whoever's playing him uh alfred letter yeah he's great yeah so that's sort of the vibe for people who haven't seen it that's kind of the vibe of this film it's it's light it's there's a lot of heaviness to what's going on but it's also punctuated with moments of really fun dark humor of a of a woman who's trying to raise her son and provide for her son and her son is very invested in that you know i, I mean right off the bat when they get to this next place to that lodging he's sort of laying into her about getting a job you know yeah yeah he's like really annoying to her mm-hmm. but uh it's 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 interesting cuz he's like a silly little kid you know what i mean and that but and at a certain point i mean he is like i don't know i it's he's hard to describe but he's he he's like uh he obviously cares about alice yeah oh yeah and and, you know he's not a he's um, not like a he's not like a sociopath or anything but he's he's like he's like a he's a bad kid though and but he is i I think he's a well-developed you know, three-dimensional character. But I think, yeah, I think that that's also out of his own, like, sit bad, like, situation. Yeah, because, absolutely. You know, like, I was a bad kid, Eric, and it was situational, know. you know? Like, um, same, same thing. I was, I was, a, I was a little, I was a little jerk off, and then, you know, but it, he is too. But it's, you don't, you don't dislike Tommy at all. You lo- You like him a lot. He's like a great, He's a great foil to her as well. Um, their financial situation forces them to take temporary lodgings in Pihonics. Phonics. It's Phonics. It's Phoenix. Yeah, it's Phonics, Arizona, <laughs> where she finds work as a lounge singer in a CD bar. <clears throat> so here's something that I noticed about this movie, and, and I think... Okay, what year did this movie come out again? 74. And hold on a second, looking something up. Uh, The Last Waltz comes out in 78. You know, Scorsese likes to to document a musical performance. Mm -hmm. And uh, he likes to, you know, he's good at filming them. And 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 I think we we kind of like this is I guess our first. It's worth noting that this is I think our first actual like musical performance. I now that I say that I think there might have been something in Boxcar Bertha where there's like a hobo singing or something. <laughs> yeah, probably that. Um, <laughs> but, what about uh? But, did he, what about the Monterey Pop Festival? Is that before this? Hmm. Pop festival score Sazy. Did he do that? Wait, why? Monterey Pop. No, that's D. A. Pennebaker. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic mistake. Pennebaker, (laughs) Scorsese. (laughs) They both filmed a Uh, lot of, you know, like. Woodstock stuff back then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, There she meets Ben, who is younger and uses his boyish charm to lure her into a sexual relationship that comes to a sudden end when his wife Rita confronts Alice. Yeah, that's a crazy scene when, like, when Rita shows up. Yeah, I I had a feeling... So what's crazy about the, the way this unfolds to me is that you at first you're kind of thinking because he comes off as so harmless right away you're you're like suspicious but you're in some ways a little mm-hmm. happy for Alice because you know maybe this is potentially a good thing and you could tell she kind of feels old and you know wants to feel a little young again and Ben seems like just like kind of an idiot and then you get the Rita stuff, and it's like you're just really disappointed. You're like, oh man, that that really sucks, and you feel bad for Rita. And then of course Alice is like kind of t- too old for what's 
this drama, you know, between this couple. So she's kind of like, okay, well, sorry. And then the Ben stuff happens. And it is a turn that I was not expecting him to come in. So basically you can, you can read on in the Wikipedia, but it it explains what happens. (laughs) Yeah. Ben breaks into Alice's apartment while Rita is there. And physically assaults her in front of Alice for interfering with his extramarital affair. When Alice tells Ben to calm down, he also threatens her uh, and continues to smash up the apartment. Fearing for their safety and unable to afford repairs, Alice and Tommy quickly leave town. Yeah. He, like, breaks in. He, like, kicks his wife out the door as she's struggling to get up. He pulls out a knife at one point. He cuts his own hand. He he threatens to basically kill Alice if she does something. And then he's like, I'll pick you up tonight at 1.30. And it's like, and you just see it on her face. Like she does such a good job in the scene of just playing it like someone who is trying to just you know, appease this psychopath to get him out of her house. And then, yeah, I, I, I felt like I knew, yeah, they're going to get, they're going to get the hell out of there. And like the whole time her son is just having to see all this happen, you know? Yeah. He's really scary. <laughs> guy tells really scary. Yeah. In this. He's, it's he's like terrifying. Br- and, and Tommy, you know, like this, this is messing him up. Right, like this yeah. is not good, and you know, I don't know. It, it's 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 also really it's also a really embarrassing moment for Alice because she's the one who kind of like brought him. She brought all this into her own house in front of her son. You know, now I mean, she didn't know this was going to happen, yeah. but as a parent, you're sort of responsible for the kind of madness you bring in front of your kids and. And she must have felt terrible. I mean, you can just feel it on her that she just feels so ashamed. And yeah, this just feels like a yeah. lot of young women's stories from all over the country, you know, just having to deal with psycho dudes. Yeah, it's it's rough. Um, so, having spent most of the little money she earned on a new wardrobe, Alice is forced to delay her journey to the West Coast and accept a job as a waitress in Tucson so she can accumulate more cash. I gotta say, one of my favorite Scorsese characters so far is played by Vic Tabak. Mm-hmm. Mel? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. Yes. <laughs> Great guy. Bell should be in every Scorsese movie at some point, just in the background, you know? Just oh, making yeah. sure everyone's fed. Um, And also, I love a guy who wears a hat that, like, <laughs> serves no function other than to be a hat. You know what I mean? Like, if you look uh-huh. at his head, it's just like... <laughs> It just covers like the very top of his head. Like <laughs> yeah. if he like moved it, angled his head at like forty five degrees, it would fall, fall off right off. Like it's not, it's not keeping his head warmer by any means. Um. Anyway, Vic. Yeah, you mentioned Vic. Vic Tabak earlier. You know what? Now that I'm like thinking about it, thinking about the show Alice, I've definitely seen episodes of that when I was a kid on like TV land or something. Cause Mel seems familiar to me. Oh, interesting. From, uh, that show. I have never, that's probably why I like him. Never, uh, never seen it. Never seen it. Never heard of it actually. Uh, at the local diner, uh, owned, uh, hold on a second. Yes, at the local diner, owned by a man named Mel, she eventually bonds with her fellow servers. Independent, nonsense, uh, no-nonsense, outspoken flow, and quiet, timid, incompetent Vera. And meets divorced local rancher David, who is instantly attracted to Alice on her first day at Mel's diner. We don't have to make sentences this long. (laughs) He wrote this Wikipedia page. Yeah, funny, uh, funny, <laughs> funny thing about Diane Ladd's character in this: uh, she ends up doing all those progressive commercials much later on in life. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, David soon realizes the way to Alice's heart is through Tommy, the album by The Who. Um, yeah, <laughs> what do you, I, I like the you know the the, the diner stuff. The uh, I'm trying to think of what else is going on in this the diner moment. The, the diner stuff's great because we see Diane Ladd. She's kind of like uh you know, she's like a she's like a fun a really fun character in this and then um you know, just to see how uncomfortable she is with uh or to see how uncomfortable she's making Ellen burst in is a really cool scene and then we get the introduction of Chris Christopherson in this, which is I how do you feel about Chris mm. Christopherson? <laughs> I Outside of the film, like just him as a guy, yeah, like you know, because he's like or, a very f- or his character. No, as an actor and as a very famous musician. Yeah, I was just talking to someone about this. I like not that familiar with Chris Christopherson. Um, yeah, he's like, and really I kind of want to like with... dive into some of his music a little bit. Oh yeah, interesting. You should. Um, he's like really tight with like Bob Dylan. He's like from that generation mm. of. Uh, yeah. Singer songwriters. He wrote "Me and Bobby McGee" for Janis yes. Joplin, no, and, and yeah, I mean, he's he's like a like yeah, he was in a Star Is Born <laughs> for crying out loud. Yeah. He was yeah, 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 in the Barbara Streisand "A Star Is Born." The dude's like a prolific sort of talent, but yeah, yeah I feel like he doesn't get a lot of recognition. You know what I mean? Like he's kind of a always been just like a actor's actor or a musician's musician. You know? You know he's got the face of uh, what's his name from uh, what's it? from AI uh, Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> do you do you get a vi- Haley Joel Osment a little vibe bit? From him? Like if Haley Joel like like he's like alternate what Haley Joel Osment could have grown up to look like. Yeah, yeah, like I think it's his eyes or something. Like the way his he's got that a similar facial feature. But um, yeah, I think he's I think he's good in this. And I I yeah, I'm curious to check out more Chris Christopherson. I suppose. Yeah, man, he's friends with like Johnny Cash. You know. Yeah. You think they smoke cigarettes <laughs> together? Man, if they didn't, it would have been a dang waste. Man. What I wouldn't give to smoke a cigarette with Johnny Cash. Mm. That would be cool, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Alice. Wait. Alice is initially hesitant to get involved with another man so quickly. However, she finds out that David is a good influence on Tommy, who has befriended wisecracking, shoplifting, ripple-guzzling Audrey, <laughs> <laughs> a slightly older girl Forced to fend for herself while her mother makes a living as a prostitute. So here's something I noticed from the Wikipedia entry is Ripple is links to something. So Ripple It's Mad Dog, baby. Uh if anyone's curious, is uh was a fortified and carbonated water. Oh. Yeah, eleven percent ABV. So it sounds like it was pretty much like white claw. Yeah. Like 70s version of White Claw. Is it not? Is it not Mad Dog 2020? Or is Ripple something different? Oh, I guess it is something different. Due to its low price, it gained a negative reputation as a drink of destitute alcoholics. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Right? Uh yeah, ripple guzzling is a good ripple adjective. Guzzling. Yeah, Audrey this Audrey is a bad, is a bad influence on uh little Tommy there. I uh, yeah, I like Tommy. I like I liked watching this kid uh, you know. It I mean it's sad, but um you know, kids do stupid stuff, especially when they're in this like situate like kind of situation at home. You can't blame the kid. No. At all. No, no, no. You can't you shouldn't you can't blame the kid. I mean, it it's it's horrible what's hap what he's going through and it's horrible what's happening to him, you know, like he's been through a lot. And he's just trying to tie one on, Eric. You know, we we do the same thing when we're stressed out. 
Sure. <laughs> I'm drinking a ripple right now. Yeah. We all get into some ripple sometimes, you know? Yeah. Uh, Alice warily falls in love with David, but their relationship is threatened when Alice objects to the discipline of the perpetually bratty Tommy. Um, yeah, so, okay, Christofferson is, like, sitting this kid down, and he's, like, singing songs. <laughs> yeah. Singing, like, country standards. Yeah, he's trying to teach him guitar. Making this kid play along. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to teach him guitar, and then the kid, kind of apropos of nothing, I mean, unless I'm missing something, just sort of, sort of, like, making fun of the music this guy (laughs) likes, and then just, like, throws a bunch of cereal in his face, and it, it looked like it kind of hurt, and I'm like, wow. And then, but then the way Chris Christopherson, or David, uh, reacts is he kind of just goes like come here and then he like gives him a he spanks him but it like it's like you just hear the kid go oh and then he flies across the room so it was with such force <laughs> that his open palm spanking sent tommy flying through the room and it's a it's a mess i mean they get into it after that uh alice and and david yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 that that when he like hits hits Tommy, it's like mm-hmm. it's it, that's that's like really, it's, it's a horrible thing. It's pretty jarring. Yeah, yeah. it's a horrible um, thing in the in this in the same way that I was kind of like, man, is every guy? I was like, I guess every guy is just a piece of garbage, and then later it was like no 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 you see that was a misunderstanding and i guess for me that's one of the things about this movie that does not hold up is i don't know if i would have taken that guy back you know or you know i guess like how do we know that's not going to happen again like it's just kind of a strange thing but i guess we're kind of i'm kind of getting ahead of ourselves like what what ends up happening eric uh, the two reconcile, and David offers to sell his ranch and move to Monterey so Alice can try to fulfill her childhood dream of becoming another Alice Faye. In the end, Alice uh, decides to stay in Tucson, coming to the conclusion that she can become a singer anywhere. And we also find out that, like, this whole time Alice was, like, wanted to get to Monterey for Tommy. And then she realizes that Tommy doesn't care about getting to Monterey. Right. That's that's also kind of typical like adult stuff, right? It's like your parents are really just kind of doing what they want to do, but then they're making it be like, but you want this too. And you're like, I don't yeah. care <laughs> about any of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the end. I, I. How do you feel about this ending, by the way? I, she, you know, she gets like with this guy. She's in the beginning of the movie. Like we see her go through these two like abusive relationships, and then we, she gets to this guy, who like hits her kid. <laughs> that's that's what I'm saying, man. Now you're you're on my you're on my I think you're on my side about this, which is like it's kind of a weird ending. It kind of sends a mixed message of like, yeah. what is it? Is it is it a is it okay to do that? I think, and again, this is where I think it just being a film from the seventies comes into play. Because I think it's I I don't think if it was made today it would have that ending, but I think that back in the seventies, you know, corporal I punishment. I hate to say it, but I think a spanking was like not that big of a deal to people in the seventies. No, and I don't. I mean, no, it was. I don't think it was. And to be honest, it wasn't that big of a deal to my parents in the late '80s, yeah. early '90s. I got <laughs> right. I got spanked, yeah. But I, I guess you know. And it's not a big deal to Jeremy during our you know podcasting meetings for me. Exactly, because I I will spank Eric relentlessly through this entire thing. Yeah. Especially when he Which, when he when by he, the way we have to get those Patreon numbers up. My bottom is yeah, sore. His bottom is his beat red. Uh, but yeah, I guess like. To me, though, that's probably the only thing about this movie that doesn't hold up is sort of how it treats 
this this one aspect of whatever you'd call it life or whatever you know um and part of me though th- doesn't really blame Alice for you know taking him up on it and and getting to a better you know get, letting him help her escape to a better life but the whole the film kind of wants you to fall in love with their relationship which honestly i thought it was just just okay and don't don't completely find their chemistry actually to be all that amazing anyway yeah um but but the very very end eric like the last shot of her and her son walking and you see the big sign that says monterey in the back background yeah. that's a great shot and that's a great moment yeah that's good stuff. and you get the sense that you know their problems aren't all over but you know it, it's definitely it it's it's definitely this is definitely a good moment we're ending on for them I think so. Um, so Jeremy, we watched. Uh, we're 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 getting into the Scorsese universe. Let me just, for context, look up real quick. Scorsese filmography. I want to uh, see where we are, just in the uh, spectrum. Mm. Scorsese's, you know, breadth of. Um, films so okay so we do get taxi driver next oh yeah this is and that's two years this is crazy it, I, I will say it has been a real joy to experience a few of these films that i hadn't seen that are pre-taxi driver because while mean streets is very much okay scorsese has arrived as, as a director uh, Taxi Driver is very much Scorsese has arrived as like a world class artist, like as a as a internationally recognized, like you know, one of the greats. I mean, Taxi yeah. Driver propels him into being one of the greats. So, you know, Alice doesn't live here anymore. A film that I actually like a lot. It's just so weird that he hasn't made Taxi Driver yet. You know what I mean? He's still yeah, like he's worked yeah. with De Niro, but he hasn't really worked with De Niro yet. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he won't for for three years after Mean Streets. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at this filmography, and I'm like, I'm excited for every single one of these. I, th- I mean, the, the Taxi Driver. Uh, we get. Uh, uh, New York, New York, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, Color of Money, The Last Temptation of Christ. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good ride. But Jeremy, uh, final thoughts on Alice Doesn't Live Here and your Chucky Freckle score, please. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my final thoughts on this are that I think this is a great film. I think this is actually like one of the better Scorsese movies I've seen. There's a lot of films of Scorsese's I actually like a lot less than Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Um, this was a huge shock to me. I guess it wasn't It wasn't so shocking that I liked it. I think it was shocking how much I liked it. And I think it was shocking just to to see something again, like I'll say, like that is, that is not Mean Streets, that's pre-Taxi Driver, like what is his style? What is he thinking about? What are his? How is he lining up his shots? You know, I find it to be kind of just like a fascinating piece of, you know, this person's journey. And Ellen Burstyn's, of course, great. Chris Christopherson is great. Even like even a young Jodie Foster, who by the way comes back with a vengeance in Taxi Driver. Uh, Jodie Foster is like hilarious in this movie. I think her last words is like, see you later suckers. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chucky Freckle score. I'm going to give this one a 2.75. So this is uh, a whole 0.25 under happy Gilmore, which I gave a three. Uh, it's 0.75 <laughs> above mean streets. I, I like that. I like that score there. I think it is better than Mean Streets in a lot of ways. It's actually, maybe it's not, if it's not better, it's definitely, I prefer it to Mean Streets. Um, as much as I did like that movie. 
Uh, Eric, what about you? Um, I enjoyed. Uh, sorry, I got distracted. Uh, re- remembering that uh, Scorsese is like, do you like create Boardwalk Empire? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He directs yeah. the pilot for sure of uh, Boardwalk oh, Empire, and uh, I don't know if you remember the show. I think it was called Vice. Is that what it was called? Vice. Huh. It was like that show about the music in the seventies. Is that what is it called? Vice. It wasn't very hmm. good. It was only on for like a season. Oh, I don't know. But uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. I. Yeah, I I like this movie. You know, it's it's interesting because I am now knowing the back, you know, knowing the backstory. I didn't know anything about this movie going into it, and afterwards I read about it and stuff. But um, vinyl, just knowing it's called vinyl. Vinyl, yes, yeah, I've heard that. That's not good. <laughs> um, just knowing like the Ellen Burstyn, uh, you know the background of uh, how this is kind of like a passion project of hers and she, you know, um, the, her, her performance is just r- super good, uh, really incredible, uh, definitely deserving of a Best Actress uh, 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 award. But um, I guess, like, looking at this movie through the lens of just, like, a drama with really good performances... Uh, I think this is a great movie. I think it's a great movie uh, in that respect. As far as like a Scorsese movie, I think it's really cool that he challenged himself, that he was able to pull off, you know, this kind of a, a kind of a film, especially so early in his career. Um, it's interesting to, 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 to see something so different from him. And, uh, and the, and the fact that he's like willing to do that, like right out of the gate, like he makes mean streets, which is like about his, what it's like literally like, you know, they say, write what you know. Right. It's literally mean streets is like about like his, you know. He grew up. He grew up in that setting, and he like knew people. You know, these characters are like based on people that he knew or experiences that he's had. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. Is like in the desert, and it's about a woman like, you know, struggling to support her child and dealing with like abuse and 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 failed relationships and and and. All these things, and uh, I think he did a really good job with it. Um, and that being said, I'm just I'm 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 trying to like I'm anticipating how much I'm going to like some of these later movies. I like how much more I'm going to like them than this one. So I think I'm gonna have to give this like a two. What did you give it? Two point seven five. Yeah. Man, I want to give it a 2.5, but that seems... I'll give it a 2.75 also. Yeah, and you know, these are all subject to change. We'll probably move some of these around, shuffle them around. Yeah, we'll... We still haven't watched Hugo yet, so we don't know where that's going to (laughs) go. Yeah, yeah. Hugo might bump this one down to a uh, (laughs) 1.5 or something. Right, right. Yeah, Hugo might bump shopping down to a zero for me. (laughs) Uh. Jeremy, next week we are uh, continuing the Adam Sandler uh, train, and of course, I should have this bookmarked. These these filmographies bookmarked at this point. But um, do you know off the top of your head what the next Sandler movie is? It's the one with Damon Wayans, right? What's that one called? <laughs> oh God! <laughs> is it really? Yes, it is. It's it's uh it's called. Oh man, what's this movie called? Oh, I'm, 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 I'm bulletproof. Bulletproof. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 uh bulletproof, and then uh wedding singer after after yes, after Adam that. Sandler plays Moses in the movie <laughs> Bulletproof. <laughs> um, and then, we're, Jeremy, we're going to have to do a Patreon episode on Dirty Work. I know that Sandler's in it for 30 seconds, but 
come on. Right. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. And then, you know, obviously Taxi Driver is the next Scorsese episode. Patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy for all those bonus apps. Uh, that Coneheads episode should be ready for you when by the time you're hearing this. Jeremy, anything you want to plug? Nah, I'm out. Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.